0: Rio said next week we are moving over into our Family Life Center, and we're going to be worshiping there throughout the summer. Uh, our air conditioning uh, unit here is getting fixed, uh, which is a wonderful blessing, and uh, we are blessed. And uh, I was encouraged uh, this past Tuesday, uh, every Tuesday we a few of us gather together for breakfast and, uh, and share just uh, in a time of prayer and devotion together. And some of our uh, folks at that breakfast... Uh, again ministered to me and said, what a wonderful blessing it is that we have multiple places that we can gather together in this church and in this congregation. So next Sunday, please join us. Uh, we'll be in the FLC for worship and for Bible classes uh, as our air conditioning is repaired, and I'll look forward to that. Uh, we are also beginning a new sermon series next week called Family Matters, uh, which is, uh, yes, I did steal the name from an old television show, but don't tell anyone. Uh, it's, it's totally unique, original to me, uh, and I look forward to that. We're going to be talking about uh, what it means to be a family. We started this year by talking about uh, how our theme in our preaching was going to be the idea of home. How we are gathered together and how this is our spiritual home where we can grow as a family together. And so a lot of what we do is geared toward becoming a family together. Uh, and I know that the church is made up of much more than just families, uh, and so don't worry. If you're not a, a part of a traditional family, uh, if you're single, uh, if you're widowed, if you're divorced, uh, you are a part of this family. And we are so glad that we are all here together worshiping. And so next week we're going to talk about uh, begin talking about what it means to be a spiritual family, what it means to join together. Uh, and it's, for many of us it's going to be things that, that have formed us and shaped us over a lifetime. Uh, and things that have encouraged us and and challenged us into following Christ. And so I'm looking forward to it. I hope that you'll join us uh, as we talk about uh, what it means to be family, as we share together, uh, as we just did in meals together, and uh, in enjoying spending time with one another and with God. Uh, Today I'm excited because our task today is to become aware, to become aware of the presence of God in our midst. Uh, Every Sunday, it's amazing, Uh, we gather together and we worship and we spend time uh, at the table together, and every time we do, we have an opportunity to make ourselves aware of God present here with us, of God's ability to come and share God's self with us. We believe that Jesus uh, came and spent time on this earth, but we believe that that wasn't the end of God being here with us, that God is continuing to spend time with us and to share who God is with each and every one of us. And so uh, today, the task ahead of us is to become attentive to who God is, to where God is, and to what God is calling us to today in worship. Uh, For so many Years for so many of us, uh, one of the questions that's really easy for us to ask is is the question, Where is God? Uh, I hear this question being asked a lot right now. Uh, I hear it being asked all over the place. Uh, And we ask it in a lot of different ways. Uh, We ask it sometimes because things are different than we remember them. Uh, We remember an encounter that we had with God, and, and so we expect to encounter God in that same way again. And so when we don't have that same experience, sometimes we ask the question, Well, where is God? Uh, maybe uh, it's a question when you look around and you look at our, our, our society, our culture, and you see uh, that we've gone through some drastic changes in the past decade, two decades, three decades. Uh, who we are as a people is totally different now than who we were. And so perhaps you ask, where is God? Uh, I experienced and I encountered God at this particular time in my life and when these kinds of things were going on, and, and so now I'm curious, where's God? Now that things are different, how do I meet God? Uh, maybe that's not the question uh, exactly that you ask. Maybe you ask a little bit of a different question because there's something going on in your life uh, that is really difficult for you. It's really difficult. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a, a loved one that's struggling with a disease. Uh, maybe it's a loved one uh, who has gone, uh, gone away and done something uh, outside of what you would uh, like to see them do with their lives. Maybe it's uh, the loss of a loved one. And you ask, where is God in the midst of my tragedy, in the midst of my difficulty?" Uh, Maybe it's a a question because uh, somebody uh, is directly doing something that that you believe is not what God would want them to do. And so maybe you ask the question, where is God? This question gets asked in all kinds of different ways, in all different types of situations, Uh, and I hope what's behind this question is a deep desire for each and every one of us to know God and to encounter God. But there's also a danger that comes along with it. Uh, because every time I hear this question being asked, I, I, my ears kind of begin to, to prick up a little bit, and I begin to, to, want, to wonder, what is it behind this question? What is it that people are really seeking? And sometimes behind this question is a fear. Sometimes behind the question, where is God, is a fear, because we don't believe that we can know where God is. We don't believe that God will make himself available to us. Sometimes we wonder, uh, if this is how I know God, and this is what's going on, then I know that God can't possibly be a part of that. Sometimes the danger is thinking that we have God figured out so that when we ask the question, where is God? We already know the answer. The answer happens to be wherever we think God is. See, I hear this question being asked and sometimes I hear this response of knowing where to expect God and knowing how we have encountered God. And sometimes I look at the story of scripture, and I see examples of people who thought that they knew where God was. People who thought that they knew what God was up to in the world, only to find out that God was actually doing something much larger than what they expected. If you think back to the story of Israel, you, you can imagine uh, this story comes up quite a bit. The this, this same story, the way it plays out is exactly the same as it does today. Uh, you think of the people of Israel, and they wonder, where is God? And for so much of their history, they're, they're, who they are as a people is built on the foundation that God has specifically chosen them, that the people of Israel are God's specific chosen nation, and it's through them that God comes into the world. God does choose Israel, but as you follow Israel's history, you begin to see that Israel has forgotten something. Israel has forgotten who they are and who God has called them to be. See, they seem to expect that, that God comes to the world through them, and they forget that God has called them to be a people who are set apart. And so, as the, the story of Israel goes, they end up going into exile. They're carried off by other nations, something that they never would have expected would be possible for God's chosen people. They're carried off into exile, and they're left wondering, where is God? Our situation has changed. We no longer encounter God the same way that we thought we did. Perhaps we can fast forward into the New Testament and we can see the same example playing out in a different story. It's the story of the Pharisees, right? We read in the Gospels of of different groups of people who all think that they know where God is. And one of these groups happens to be the Pharisees. And Jesus, when Jesus comes, has a specific warning against the Pharisees. He calls them over and over and over again, people who think that they know who God is and where God is, and yet they can't even see God in front of them. And so over and over again, the Pharisees uh, encounter Jesus, and Jesus rebukes the Pharisees because they begin to to miss on where God is and what God is doing in the world. They think they've got it figured out. They think they know where they're going to find God and how to experience God, only to find that God is doing something larger than that. In the letters of Paul's, a couple of times we encounter a group of people called the Judaizers, and the Judaizers are believers in Jesus, but they believe that not only do you need to to believe in Jesus, but that you also need to be Jewish in order to believe in Jesus, in order to to receive salvation. And So these Judaizers go around, and they tell people, uh, in order for you to receive God's presence, in order for you to be with God, you need to become Jewish. And Paul and others in the New Testament write repeatedly over and over again that what God is doing is much wider and much different than what they have limited God to. See, I think this question of where is God, only to fall into the trap of of trying to answer where God is for God, uh, plays out over and over again throughout history. Uh, Perhaps you have an an example or an experience of when this has happened in your life. Of a time that, that you thought maybe God was up to something, only to find out that God was doing something even more than that. So what I want us to do today as we encounter this God, as we seek to meet this God in this place at this particular time, is to witness what God is doing in each of our lives and to become aware of the moments, of the times when God might be doing something larger than even what we can see. I want us to read a story together today that comes out of the book of 2 Kings. Uh, We've not been studying 2 Kings, and in fact, it's a little bit of a bizarre turn for us. We've been studying, uh, uh, out of the first couple chapters of Genesis, John Mark has been leading us in a discussion of who God is. Uh, God is both transcendent and imminent. Uh, God is both uh, the creator of all, this powerful being who simply speaks and creation comes into existence, but God is also a God who's willing to get uh, his hands dirty. Uh, God forms us out of the dirt. Uh, forms who we are, breathes life into us, so God is both uh, transcendent, this powerful almighty God, but he 's also imminent here among us, with us uh, it 's this amazing story that we find in Genesis chapters one and two, uh, and today we 're going to turn to second Kings chapter five to answer this question of where is God uh, because it 's kind of a bizarre story, and uh, what I want us to do is read it together uh, and to think about uh, what it meant for the people of Israel, what it meant for the people who are part of the story, because uh, what they find out is that God is actually doing something a little bit larger than what they witnessed. And so uh, in 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going to be reading today. Uh, And before we start reading, uh, I want to tell you one thing about this story. Uh, This story is remarkable, uh, because the story uh, that we find in the Old Testament is a story about the people of Israel. Uh, But a a couple of times, in a couple of different places, something gets inserted into this story about the people of Israel that has nothing to do with the people of Israel. Uh, This story will include an Israelite, uh, but this is a story about a guy from Aram. He's an Aramean. His name is Naaman. Uh, So if you're thinking of a name for your child, just name them uh, Naaman. Uh, And so uh, this is a a story about an Aramean who's not in Israel, not a part of the story of God, apparently. Apparently until we read this story together. So uh, I want us to read just one verse, because this one verse is going to tell us a couple things about the story, and then we'll keep going. So 2 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Naaman, a general for the king of Aram, was a great man, and highly regarded by his master, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. This man was a mighty warrior, but he had a skin disease. Okay, uh, so we're going to stop right there and pause for just a second, because a couple more things come up in this story. So not only is Naaman a non-Israelite. Uh, not only is Naaman not a part of the people that you would expect Naaman to be a part of when he's in this story, uh, but Naaman, apparently is also working on behalf of God. Uh, this is an amazing claim that comes out of the New Testament, or, or sorry, the Old Testament. Uh, Naaman, an Aramean, not an Israelite, is working for God's purposes, and God is, in fact, working through Naaman. Uh, that's an amazing claim because this is the story of Israel, right? It's the story of God's chosen people. And yet here we have somebody who's not a part of that group, and God is still working. So begin to notice that God is already doing more than what we imagine, more than what the Israelites certainly imagined. And we also learn another thing about Naaman in this story. Naaman uh, is a mighty warrior. He's a, he's a successful uh, general in battle, but he's got a skin disease, so, all is not well in the life of Naaman. Naaman's life is not great. Uh, it, it's good. You know, he, he's got uh, renown. Uh, the, the, his master, the king of Aram, is, is, uh, trusts him, and, and he's able to lead the armies, but he himself has a skin disease. And so, Naaman wants to figure out, how can I improve my life? And in the course of asking the question, how can I improve my life, Naaman is going to meet God in a way that even he didn't expect. Okay, so let's fast forward, and let's keep reading in the story. We're going to start, uh, pick it back up in verse 9. Starting in verse 9, it says, Naaman arrived uh, to Israel with his horses and his chariots. He stopped at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent out a messenger who said, go and wash seven times in the Jordan River, and then your skin will be restored and become clean. But Naaman went away in anger He said, I thought for sure that he'd come out, he'd stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. He'd wave his hand over the bad spot and cure the skin disease. Aren't the rivers in Damascus, the Abana and the Farpar better than all of Israel's waters? Couldn't I wash in them and get clean? And so he turned away and he proceeded to leave in anger. Naaman's servant came up to him and spoke to him. He said, our father, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? But all he said to you was wash And become clean. So Naaman went down and bathed in the Jordan seven times, just as the man of God had said, and his skin was restored like that of a young boy, and he became clean. He returned to the man of God with all of his attendants, and he came and he stood before Elisha, saying, Now I know for certain that there's no God anywhere on earth except in Israel. Please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha said, I swear by the life of the Lord that I serve, I won't accept anything. Naaman urged Elisha to accept something, but he still refused. And so Naaman said, if not, then let me, your servant, have two mule loads of earth. Your servant will never again offer entirely burned offerings or sacrifices to any other gods except for the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master comes into Rimmon's temple to bow down there and is leaning on my arm, I must also bow down in Rimmon's temple. When I bow down in Rimen's temple, may the Lord forgive your servant for doing that. And Elisha said to him, Go in peace. Okay, so this is a little bit of a bizarre story, right? Uh, It it, it is a story that you might not have expected to read today as you came to church. It's a little bit of a weird story. Um, uh, If you're into gardening and agriculture, maybe it's right up your alley. Uh, Naaman is taking some dirt home with him, and uh, maybe he's going to plant a garden or something like that. Uh, But it's a little bit of a bizarre story, right? Uh, But in this story, uh, Naaman uh, desires to get well. All's not well in his life, and he wants to learn how he can get better. And he hears about this prophet named Elisha. Uh, He thinks, okay, well, maybe Elisha can help me out. And and so he's going to go see Elisha. And, of course, the story unfolds, and Naaman becomes angry. And I love Naaman's response in anger uh, because uh, I I think it's a lot like what my response would have been. If I expect to uh, be healed, uh, I don't expect to have to work for it. Uh, uh, you know, Naaman shows up. He's, he's traveled all this way, uh, and Elisha's got the ability to heal him. Uh, Naaman's heard the stories, right? And so if I'm like Naaman, I'm like, okay, you know, go ahead and heal me. Uh, don't tell me to do this thing that seems worthless. Uh, now, Naaman's servants, uh, they, they try and talk some sense into him, and they're like, well, uh, they're kind of buttering up, him up a little bit. They say, if he would have asked you to do something really hard wouldn't you have done that you know this is easy right just go wash in the, in the water seven times and you'll be healed and so Naaman finally gets some some sense knocked into him and he goes and he washes and he becomes clean and when he comes back he's has the opportunity to sit down with Elisha and to to share with him uh, the blessing that he's received he wants to give Elisha a gift and instead he ends up taking some dirt home with him uh, which I wish I love that response too Uh, because for Naaman, uh, he's a little bit limited by his time and place in history, Uh, and so Naaman believes that the only place that there's a God is in Israel now. He believes that the God of Israel is a territorial God, that that this God only exists within the borders and the boundaries of the land of Israel, and so Naaman says, well, fine, if if you're not going to accept my blessing to you, then allow me to take some of God home to Aram with me. Allow me to take some of Israel, some of the dirt from the ground back, so that I can pour it out in the place that I live, and, and where I live, there too, God will inhabit. See, Naaman, uh, when he takes this dirt, he's, he's probably not into gardening. I mean, he might be, but he's a general in, a, in an army, so he's probably more into like, being a general in, a, in an army than gardening. Uh, but he takes some dirt home with him, because he wants to have God's presence there with him. He's experienced and he's encountered this God, and so he says, I want to have that experience. I want God to be with me, even in my home of Aram. And so he takes that dirt back home with him. And I think this matters a lot for us this morning, because if we are, in fact, asking the question, where is God? If we're looking around and seeing that society has changed quite a bit, or or that circumstances in our own life have changed, and, and things are different now, and we're asking the question, where is God in the midst of all of that? I think this story is a great place for us to begin to understand where God is. See, the story begins with Naaman, right? He he gets described as a general in the army, and he's successful. But notice also what it says. It says that God is working through Naaman. See, Naaman takes some dirt home with him because he thinks that God is only in Israel. But what Naaman doesn't realize is that God has been in Aram all along. God has been working through and with Naaman, even in Aram. See, Naaman takes some dirt home with him because he wants God to be there with him. And perhaps what Naaman needed to do most was to open his eyes and to see where God truly was, that God was already there in his midst, working through and with it. I've heard it described a lot like this. Uh, There's a lot of different paths to, to reach God. We're asking the question, where is God? And there's a lot of different paths that could possibly answer that. And if you subscribe to the Christian faith, then perhaps the way that you answer that question is that there is one specific path. Uh, We even might quote the passage from John chapter 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we might say, the way to get to God is through Jesus. And so we describe it like going up to, to the top of a mountain. Uh, sure, you might be able to hike a mountain in several different ways, but, but the true way, the, the best way, the way to reach the top of the mountain, the only way that really will get you there uh, the way that God intends is through the life of Christ. And that's a great example. It's a great metaphor for, for this kind of journey of faith. But I want us to, this morning, realize that that's not the story that we have inherited. The story that we have inherited is not that God is at the top of a mountain and that we have to hike up to the top of the mountain, and the only way to get there is through Jesus. The story that we have inherited is that God hiked down the mountain, that Jesus came down the mountain to meet us, to be with us. For Naaman, in his time and place, what he needed to understand was that God was already working in his life. God was already in Aram. Yeah, Naaman takes some dirt home with him because he wants God to be present where he lives, but God was already there. God was already in Aram. God was hiking down the mountain to meet Naaman where he was a beautiful story because this is the kind of God who's both transcendent and imminent and yet wants to meet us here where we are, even in the times and the places when we don't have the eyes to see who God is or where God is. The story of Jesus is the story of a God who hikes down the mountain and comes to be with us. I really like the way that uh, Soren Kierkegaard talks about this. Uh, I have to give some credit here. Uh, it, not surprisingly, uh, I sent some of my sermon notes to uh, one of our shepherds here, Mike Young. And uh, the thing that I love about Mike, I love a lot of things about Mike, but, but maybe, maybe one of the most impressive things about Mike is that you can send Mike something, and he'll pull something out from like who, who knows how long ago, and he'll be like, hey, uh, you could use this, by the way. So this is a quote uh, from Soren Kierkegaard through Mike Young, uh, and he's talking about prayer in this quote. And I love what Kierkegaard has to say. He says, The earthly-minded person thinks and imagines that when he prays, the important thing, the thing he must concentrate upon, is that God should hear what he is praying for. And yet in the true, eternal sense, it is just the reverse. The true relation as prayer is not when God hears what is prayed for, but when the person praying continues to pray until he is the one who hears, who hears what God is asking for. See, this is the great reversal that we need to, to, to remember about who this God is that we worship, about where this God is, is that oftentimes we think of God as uh, somewhere else, as distant, and we need to pray to God so that God will hear us uh, because God is not here with us. Uh, he needs to hear what we have to say, and we forget all along that God is here. And in fact, that we can listen to the words of God, to the, to the being of God, and to what God desires for us. And Kierkegaard's point is that in prayer, uh, perhaps what we need to learn to do is to stop talking and to start listening. Perhaps we need to stop using our mouth and start using our eyes and our ears to witness what God is doing in the world around us. Today we were ministered to through worship. And for me, uh, that moment of singing that final song was a moment to, to open my eyes and to witness that what God is doing is larger What God is doing is is for all of us that uh, God is the cleanser of the mess we've made, of the mess I've made. Perhaps there's opportunities today and this week to see what God is doing in your life, to be grateful for the day that we have been given, and to join with all of creation in worshiping this wonderful God. One final note about the story about Naaman. Naaman takes some dirt home with him. And I love that idea. Yeah, Elisha could have taken a moment at the end of the story. Uh, Elisha could have taken a moment and said, You know, you don't need to take dirt home with you. God's not just in Israel, Uh, He's even there in Aram with you. Uh, Elisha, this prophet from God, this person who has a special encounter and revelation to give to the people from God, could have stood there and corrected Naaman. He could have corrected his theology, he could have corrected his practice. But instead, Elisha simply says, go in peace. And he allows Naaman to take that dirt home with him. I don't know what Naaman does when he gets home with the dirt, but I like to imagine that what he does is he takes it into every place that he goes, into every uh, corner of his home, and he begins to sprinkle a little bit of that dirt everywhere. Because Naaman has now encountered this God. This God has been revealed to Naaman, and so Naaman wants to have this God everywhere he goes. And so he begins to sprinkle some of that dirt in every place that he goes, in every place that he spends time. And maybe this morning, maybe the encouragement that each of us needs is that we can take some dirt home with us as well. That where we have encountered God in our life, we can begin to sprinkle the seeds of that dirt uh, into every part of our life. And that as we have opportunity, we can begin to thank God and to worship God everywhere that we go. In the dirt underneath our homes in the dirt underneath our streets, in the dirt underneath this building and the buildings that we work in and the buildings that we take our children to school in, that God is not just the God who only exists in Israel, but that this God is with us, each and every one of us. And so church, today, as we continue in worship, the challenge is to take some dirt home with you, to take some of this worship back with you everywhere that you go. As we stand in worship, if you'd like some prayers this morning, our elders are going to gather around the room. And if you want to join this journey, if you want to put on God in baptism, I'd love to spend some time talking with you down front. Please come while we stand and worship together.